0: Spooky. The podcast home of all things Southern spooky, and this week a little bit feminine.
1: Mm-hmm. A nod to women's history, indeed.
0: I'm your Carolina girl, Heather, and I'm your Florida man, Tony. We'd like to invite you to investigate our Facebook page, haunt our Insta. I won't repeat all of that. Infect your friends by sharing our tales. Assassinate your cat. No. Eviscerate
1: no, no. your parents. Oh.
0: I mean, we did just pass the Ides of March, but no. yeah. Patreon, also our Patreon. Oh, yeah, our, our Patreon. Leave the Cats Alone. So today, we decided to do a little bit of honoring of Women's History Month by discussing an enterprising woman of the early 1800s. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's just a little funny the way you said that. Go ahead. Lavinia Fisher is yeah. a South Carolina native born in Charleston. She's reputed to be one of those rare early woman serial killers, but nowadays her crimes are somewhat in dispute. Don't misunderstand, she is a criminal, but her legendary status as multiple murderess has come under question. She was, however, an active member of a large gang of highwaymen who operated out of the Five Mile House and the Six Mile House in the backcountry near Charleston. But not the Seven Mile or, or Four Mile House. I think you can only handle but one or two. Oh, Okay. But her story's been inflated over the years by low-country locals, horror tale enthusiasts, and ghost tour leaders looking to entertain their customers. Of course. Naturally. So there's not much known about the early life of Lavinia Fisher. You know, just sort of a boring person. Well, not boring, but just a person, so she doesn't have a whole lot of history up until this time. Lavinia and John Fisher lived in Charleston, as I said, for most of their lives. Now early 19th century charleston was a bustling metropolis second only in population to new york city oh at least at this time i didn't know it was that big right and the state government moved from charleston to columbia where i live now Yep, where we are in 1788 but it still outranked its sister city in the eyes of many it was a port so it served as an important center of commerce for both wagons and ships it was also a major market for selling of enslaved people. Yes, there is still the slave market there. Uh in 1877, yeah. Oh, I'm just saying, well, I mean it's still there now. They just sell other stuff. I mean, it's a bustling market. I hate using that word so much, but it's a busy marketplace, but they just have never Wait, changed the name of it. Where
1: is this marketplace at? It's
0: by the seaside. It's I mean, it's in Charleston.
1: Oh, huh. oh, okay. Yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. Charleston here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking you—you you were talking about Columbia, and I no, was like, no. "We have
0: a market here." I uh, mean, there probably was
1: one, but I don't know well, where I mean, it would we, be. We have the flea market, but it's just like I thought you meant like an actual like market. Markets, like really? Not anymore. And I have not been there yet. No, no. Okay,
0: so back to Charleston in the 1790s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, from 1790 to 1820. Enslaved people and free people of color made up more than half the population of the city. Charleston was the only city in the U.S. during that time where the slaveholders were outnumbered by the people they enslaved. Which, almost that sounds wrong, because I thought that was the big fear. They didn't like being outnumbered. Anyway, on top of this, Charleston's wealth was hoarded by the elite. So totally not at all like today, right? Uh Uh-huh. According to Maury D. McInnis in The Politics of Taste in Antebellum, Charleston. Interesting title. Right. Throughout the antebellum period, the top 4% of the population controlled more than 50% of the city's wealth. So instead of the 1%, we had the 4%. Now, the reason we're giving all this background, it's, I mean, it may be a little superfluous, but we're building a backdrop here. It's a backdrop of stark racial and class and economic tensions. Charleston was... Let's say a prime target for thieves. Traders visiting Charleston to ply their wares were often beset by highwaymen on the road into Charleston to steal their goods and on the road out of Charleston to steal their earnings.
1: Well, hell, even Blackbeard targeted Charleston once in his life.
0: So, you know, it's it's uh, visited by only the best. Yes. So if you happen to be traveling to Charleston by wagon in 1819, you need to stop regularly to rest and water your horses, which for me always, I'm just envisioning a watering can. I know that's not what they mean. All right,
1: Bessie, stand in this pot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so what people would do is they'd pull over at an inn, usually named for how many miles it lay outside of town.
1: Yeah.
0: So the six mile wayfarer house was owned and managed in the early 19th century by John and Lavinia Fisher.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And mysteriously, men who were visiting Charleston began to disappear. As more and more reports were filed with the authorities regarding these missing men, it was determined that they were last seen at the Six Mile Wayfarer house. Now, initially the complaints came to not much
1: because there was
0: never much evidence and the couple was very popular.
1: Yeah. Now, who's to say they weren't getting shanghai though? Indeed. By the way, if you don't know that term, shanghai is sort of a being knocked out and forced into slavery. Yeah, usually people would... Well, I think they even have, like, special drop tunnels. Which yeah.
0: I, those, I think, are real. You go into a tavern, you drink yourself silly, and then somehow you, you pass wake up out. on You wake up on a ship. Yes, and usually <laughs> what happens is when someone passes out, they get dropped down a little trap door, and then, yes, they are sold to a ship, so they don't wake up till
1: they're... Somewhere out to sea. Now, I don't know if that's the proper term for it. I would assume kidnapping is. I mean, yeah, human trafficking of sorts, but but that's what they used to call it. They used to call it Shanghai. Because that was often the destination that
0: um, people who needed help on ships were going. Yep. And as a side note, we were just at the pirate house in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And um, they have one of these tunnels that they aren't sure if it was used for shanghaiing or smuggling,
1: but it was used for one of those.
0: At minimum, maybe both. So, definitely very cool. And you can walk around the Pirate's House, which is a restaurant, but it's also a historical good food. home. Good oh food my gosh, too. the food is so good. Yep. But you can walk around and see some of these um, remnants of the past. Mm-hmm. So, what was going on at the inn? Yeah. So, here's a theory about how that went down lone travelers would find their way to the Six Mile Wayfarer House. They would be ushered in by a gracious hostess, the beautiful and charming Lavinia Fisher, invited to dinner and asked questions about their occupations. One might surmise that Lavinia hoped to determine if they had money, and if they did, she would send them up to their rooms with a cup of poisoned tea. It was her own blend, brewed up with deadly oleander. Once the men drank their tea and went to bed, her husband would
1: go into the room and beat them to death. But if they just ingested Oleander, why would he beat them to death? To finish the job. Oleander is quite potent. This is the legend. I'm not okay. questioning it yet. Okay, I'm just like, not to... Just to make sure, I guess. I was guess. about to say, that's sort of like the whole beating the dead horse thing.
0: Okay, well, here's a, an even better one. Another version of the legend... I guess written by Stephen Sondheim, to the tune of Sweeney Todd, was that the tea would only put them into sleep for a few hours. Maybe there's just a teeny bit of oleander, I don't know. When they were almost asleep, Lavinia would pull a lever, and the bed would collapse and drop the victim into a pit. Yes, Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. And it was later added that there were spikes waiting at the bottom of the pit, because that totally makes sense. So, oubliette? Now... I might make a note here that most homes in the deep south don't have basements.
1: No, we can't have basements because we sit on the water table.
0: Yeah, the closest thing to a basement I've ever seen was in my mother-in-law's house and it was built on a hill, so yeah. her basement
1: was actually just the downstairs. Yeah, so you know, in in most of the places in the south, we do not have basements, especially on the coast. Now, I might
0: add that uh, because of, like, the way our inspectors work here, it, it was cited that she had an eight-foot crawl space. Oh, wow. Okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, an eight-foot fully furnished crawl space. Yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> With a door to the outside, because right. it's not really a basement. It's
1: a crawl door. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, so what actually occurred in the alleged murders at the hands of John and Lavinia Fisher has been a little bit exaggerated through time. You know, if you remember a few episodes back, not unlike Madame Lalaurie.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just saying, what you just read,
0: it's a little sus. You think? But it's fascinating and exciting, oh, yeah. and so that's probably why it's told that way. And factual details are really hard to come by. Um, these stories first began circulating when men in the area started complaining about a group of crooked highwaymen, as you know, as opposed to the proper ones cheating at poker games hosted by local inns.
1: Well, okay, so there weren't highwaymen weren't always bad. Highwaymen were people who traveled the highway back and forth, sometimes good Samaritans, other times not so good Samaritans. Well, at least in the context of like the Renaissance Festival, festival,
0: I've only heard of highwaymen as being kind Robbers, of like land pirates. You like <laughs> land
1: pirates, yes. I'm I'm telling you, you need to read Le Pacte de Okay. That is the Brotherhood of the Wolf. En français. no. Yes. So, anyway, it was uh, complaining of a group
0: mm-hmm. of highwaymen who were cheating at poker games hosted by local inns, such as the one run by the Fishers mm-hmm. and nearby Five Mile House. Now, I don't think they also owned Five Mile House. I think they were just friends and associates with the people who did. I mean,
1: I, I think that would be good just good business. It's like, yeah. well, you know, if you're full, send us people. If we're full, we'll send them a mile back and send them your way. Now, furthermore... This is one of the few things that's
0: actually got a name to it. A farmer named Stephen Lacoste reported a cow stolen right out of his pasture, and he accused the Howie men of expanding their gambling schemes to outright thievery. Well, and when you consider back then that, like, stealing a horse was quite a huge deal. Oh, absolutely. Stealing a cow, I think, would be not at quite as bad, but still kind of not great. No, I'm
1: just imagining, like, the original, like... You know, high-lumen dusters uh-huh. with the swords and everything, riding a bull. <laughs> Mongo, said. <sack.
0: laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, thanks for that visual. <laughs> so, contemporary news reports in the Charleston Post and Courier claimed that a vigilante gang went to the Fishers' neighborhood in February of 1819 to Stop the purported gang activities that were occurring there. By other gangs. Yes, so we have the original gang and now the vigilante gang, because that makes things better. Satisfied that they had served their purpose, which it doesn't really say what they did, the group returned to Charleston, but they left one member, one David Ross, to remain behind to patrol and keep watch. Yeah. Well, apparently the, the gang did not really appreciate that. So early the next day, Ross was attacked by two gang members and brought before the rest of the gang that had terrorized the region in the first place. And among the gang members was Lavinia Fisher. And a- oh. He apparently appealed to her for help, but it was not given. Legendarily, she hit him in the head with a pan and smashed his face through a window. Now, I don't know how you survive. Well, I mean, not that it would kill you, but he apparently continued on out the window and escaped and went straight to authorities.
1: Well, Yeah. You imagine that, getting hit in the head with a frying pan and then she throws you at the window? So instead of, like, taking it in the face like a champ, you just kind of dive through the window and, con- like, continue run- running. Sir, <laughs> so she defenestrated me. <laughs>
0: Parkour! So immediately thereafter, or nearly, another traveler named John Peoples asked if there were any vacancies at Six Mile House. Lavinia replied that there was unfortunately no room, but he was welcome to come inside and rest and have a meal. Mr. Peoples was not a fan of tea, but he didn't want to appear rude, so he took the tea and poured it out when she wasn't looking. They talked for hours, and he answered endless questions. Lavinia stated that she discovered that she did, in fact, actually have a room available after all. So Mr. Peoples retired for the night. Now, he began to kind of think on this lengthy conversation, and, um, you- how would you describe the situation? Sauce? Yes, I figured that would be the word- well, probably in the 1820s they didn't have that phrase, but apparently that is how he felt, because he didn't feel quite comfortable. He began to ponder all those questions and the odd looks that her husband kept giving him, and he became suspicious and was worried about being robbed, so he decided to sleep in the chair by the door. I don't know how comfy the chair was, but apparently he actually fell asleep because he woke up to the sound of the bed collapsing, a- allegedly. He jumped out the window, let's hope he's on the first floor, and he rode to Charleston to alert the authorities.
1: So would we call him the People's Champion? Oh, geez.
0: Now, an alternative and probably more realistic version, John Peoples arrived at the Six Mile House to water his horses. According to his affidavit, he was set upon by a group of nine or ten persons who were heavily armed. While Peoples could not identify his assailants, he did note there was a woman in the group. And unsurprisingly, they began to beat him mercilessly, as they had Ross. While Peoples was able to get away with his wagon, two of his assailants pursued on horseback and robbed him at gunpoint. And again, he wasn't able to identify who robbed him, but he was later able to identify them in a lineup. Yeah. William Hayward, this is a new name, John Fisher and Lavinia Fisher. So, the first story was probably a complete fabrication. Yeah. But it's far more fascinating. He was almost dropped in the oubliette
1: after not drinking the magical oleander tea. (laughs) Well, I mean, you have the stories and then you have a sworn affidavit. I'm going to go with the affidavit. Sorry. Yeah,
0: investigative reporting and all that. We're so good at it. But thanks to Ross and Peoples, we now actually have identification, names, and faces which was something law enforcement previously kind of lacked. So police were dispatched to the location, the 6 mile wayfarer house was thoroughly searched, and apparently the grounds dug up. Filled with hidden passages, the sheriff reportedly found items that could be traced to dozens of travelers. Tea laced with an herb that could put someone to sleep for hours, a mechanism that could be triggered to open the floorboards beneath the bed, and in the basement, which didn't exist, as many as a hundred sets of remains, please note that most of these are exaggerations that cannot be confirmed, but more on that later and In an outbuilding, they found the hide
1: of the missing cow. Remember the cow there's search not con- to not to say that it could have been someone else's cow or another cow entirely. I imagine if the
0: the owner of the cow would have been able to identify it, but again, it's not really said just the hide of of the missing cow okay. And, of course, because this is police procedure, their search complete, they set fire to Six Mile House, destroying everything inside.
1: That is police procedure? I was being facetious. Uh, yeah. But that is the legend. You know what, boys? I think we've collected all the evidence we need. Bobby, burn it the hell down. Well, and apparently, the Five Mile House was also
0: involved in this, and they had allegedly burned it down the night before. Wow. I don't know why. Um... But I guess suddenly there was a, an opening in that area for an inn. <laughs> now, this part's kinda sweet, and yeah. I think it is confirmed, but I don't I, I want it to be true, but I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things of please be true. John Fisher surrendered the group in order to protect his wife and shield her from possible gunfire. And later during the interrogation, he once again attempted to protect Lavinia by giving up the identities of all the gang members so that's love ladies if you wanted a good husband he is absolutely the one criminals you don't want him in your gang (laughs) (laughs) at their arraignment the fishers pleaded not guilty but were ordered to be held in jail until their trial which would take place in may now it never did say like what time of year they got arrested so i don't know if that was a month six months a year i don't know their co-conspirators somehow were released on bail now, at their trial, the jury rejected their pleas of innocence and found them guilty of highway robbery, actual highway robbery, which at the time was a capital offense. Actually, is it still?
1: Highway robbery? Yeah. It's no longer, I mean...
0: Is right that even now, a thing now? Right
1: now, we have things that cover that more in-depth, like larceny, grand larceny. Hijacking, maybe. <laughs> um, Just... We have updated versions. Highway robbery was for more when horses and buggies were being used. Now it's just used as a, you're charging how much for this car? Exactly. In the 1800s, highway robbery would be like robbing a stagecoach. Fair enough. Or something like that. However,
0: the judge allowed an appeal and they were given a reprieve until January. Yeah. When court was back in session. So, during this time, the Fishers spent their time... Together in the same cell, because that's a good idea. Again, romantic, but okay. So what were they doing with their time? Conjugating? Absolutely. They were planning an escape. Oh, okay. They were housed together at the Charleston, South Carolina jail
1: known as... The Old City Jail, which I don't even know how old it is because this is back then. We watched this thing. It was a while ago. We watched a documentary on how they would hang people at the old... Oh, yeah. Yeah, where they had the gallows and everything and they'd, like, take the people in and show them the way it was. Like, they had the open windows of the sea breeze coming in. Was that on Grim Life Collective? Yes.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay. Was that the Old Jail? Yeah. Okay. That I remember old, that. That was the old Charleston City Jail. I remember watching it, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember what city yeah. it was. They go, they travel a lot. So they were in a 6x8 cell that was not heavily guarded. On September 13th, so that's going to be a while until January,
1: yeah. they
0: put their plans into action and began their escape. With a spoon. Very nearly. Things did not go as planned. It, it did not go well.
1: <laughs> Do they ever? so
0: they did the old let's take our prison blankets and make a rope (laughs) it it worked well enough that john did manage to escape um but lavinia no though the rope broke or came untied or whatever somebody didn't do boy scout knots i guess so lavinia was still trapped in the cell john once again being very sweet was unwilling to continue the escape plan and was recaptured.
1: Can you imagine that? Like you just get out and you're like, "Come on, Lavinia," and she's stuck, and you're like, ah, "Damn it! Okay, hold on, guys." <laughs> all right, <laughs> I fell out the window <laughs> <laughs> and took all my blankets <clears throat> with me. I was making a parachute.
0: Yeah, that went over <clears throat> well.
1: A Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs>
0: Uh, there was a thought that he was working on an alternative plan, but he was captured. Yeah. So he, did, he, either way, he didn't get very far. He's not great at planning, I guess.
1: So I mean, he couldn't be hit for escaping. He could be for like attempted escape nowadays, fleeing from custody. Yeah, which I guess. is, I mean, it's technically it's a felony, but it can be busted down to a misdemeanor. Well, if they had gotten Lavinia out, they would have been gone. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: naturally, after that, now I don't know if they were continued to be kept in the same cell but they were at least under a slightly higher security because now they're considered a flight risk yeah (laughs) so in i guess it was january Mm -hmm. the constitutional court rejected their appeals and on february 4th because they tried to escape (laughs) probably didn't help february 4th 1820 they were sentenced to be hanged now awaiting execution john accepted the counsel of the Reverend Richard Furman, a local minister. Mm-hmm. Lavinia, however, became angry and embittered, and she argued with the judge that he couldn't hang a married woman because it was against the law at the time. So the judge figured there was a nice workaround. He'd just hang John first and then hang her as a widow. What's the whole saying? Till
1: death do you part? I would say hanging is death. Yeah, so she was a little annoyed by all of that. Now, if she was pregnant, they couldn't hang her. Well, they would just wait, they, they? would wait until she gave birth, give her like a week, and then hang her.
0: Yeah. Charming. Because that's what they were going to do with Anne Bonny and Mary Read, right? Yep. Anne Bonny escaped. We don't know what happened to Mary. I'd like to think she got away, but... Oh, yeah. Who knows? Anyway. So, on the gallows, in front of the Old City Jail before John Fisher's execution, Reverend Furman read aloud a letter that John had composed which stated that since he had become a Christian, he could not be executed with a lie held to his account. Therefore, he insisted on his innocence and asked for mercy for on those who had done him wrong in the judicial process. After the minister read the letter, Fisher then began to plead his case before the gathered crowd of some 2,000 people, because, you know, that always works in our system. He then seemingly contradicted himself by asking for their forgiveness. I didn't do it, please forgive me. Basically. Now, Lavinia was of the notion that she she would be pardoned because she's a woman. It wasn't super common to hang women back then.
1: Oh, they'd still do
0: it, though. True. But she was um disabused of this notion, shall we say, yeah. as she was led to the gallows and put into the noose. However, Lavinia did not go quietly. Um, Allegedly, she refused to walk to the gallows, so they had to kind of carry her. And while they were dragging her along, I think they just picked her up and carried her, I don't know, she was ranting and raving and carrying on, like you might expect, and before the crowd, she continued to shout pointedly at the Charleston socialites whom she blamed for encouraging the conviction. According to legend, Lavinia used her last breath to shout, If any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now for I shall be seeing him shortly. And then jumped off the stand herself to her death. She was buried in a potter's field near the Old City Jail, which is where they usually put people after they've been hanged. Yeah. Now, historical records do not indicate that This is going back a little bit, that hundreds of remains were found in the Fisher's basement because, as we mentioned, no basement. Yeah. A couple of bodies were dug up on the property, but given that people weren't always, like, assigned a grave plot, I guess that's not too unusual. No. And nothing could tie them to the Fishers for certain. According to records, the Fishers were never charged with murder. The one thing the records do agree on is the fact that they robbed many travelers and highway robbery was a hanging offense. Yeah, it was. So, also, called into question, part of the legend is that Lavinia wore her wedding dress to remind people she was a married woman. But then there's that whole notion of, well, if they burn down her house, where does she get the wedding dress? It's, so, we don't know. So, sometimes the legend is definitely more fun to tell. Well, and, cool, this and one what has, kind of jail is going to be like, oh, no, you can bring your wedding dress with you. I mean, yeah, there's also that. I'm trying to remember when the whole concept of the white wedding dress, I mean, that was a Victorian thing, so maybe they did do it. Yeah, now.
1: it was a Victorian thing, but still. But not
0: everybody did it. No. So who knows? I don't know. But they, they kind of agreed that that was probably an embellishment. A fabric fabrication, if you will. Hmm. As they weave this story together from scraps of truth or...
1: So what you're saying is this is a tailoring of the truth? It is indeed. A sartorial tale? <laughs> Told for the sheer delight of it. Indeed. I mean, it's not like you stitch this together. Moving on. So Fisher is credited as
0: among the first serial killers, women serial killers... In the U.S. But, but there's
1: no proof of it.
0: Right, and that distinction likely belongs to Jane Toppin, who yep. I and now have to just kind of look yeah. into. She confessed to 31 murders in 1901 and was found not guilty by reason of insanity. By reason of insanity usually implies, yes, she did it, but she's too crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I actually have to look her up because I'm not familiar with Jane
1: Toppin. Mm. Or at least... I know if I, have, I, know I a little bit of the story, but I mean... It's Ooh, gonna... is she from the South? No, I don't believe so. Darn it. Doesn't well, mean we can't go out of the realm of the South. This is true.
0: So, the Fisher's execution, as you might imagine, drew a lot of public interest. I mean, up until kind of recently, as in the last few decades or century, executions were like public entertainment. Oh, yeah. I think in more recent times, it has been considered to be in poor taste. And taboo. Yeah, that too. It was novel to see a woman be executed for a capital crime, especially alongside her husband, Mm -hmm. or right after. The few details available about Lavinia herself, combined with her shocking final words to the crowd, proved to be an irresistible combination of the unknown and the lurid. According to Bruce Orr, whose book Six Miles to Charleston is the authoritative text on John and Lavinia Fisher, did I read it yet? No. The legend was created in 1830. Um, there was a publication of Peter Nielsen's Six Years' Residence in America, and it's at fault. Nielsen's, a Scottish businessman, claimed that he had personally witnessed the Fisher's execution. He had not, in fact. Something about the dates of when he was present yeah. completely not lining up. In order to thrill the audience, he embroidered the story to make it darker and more horrifying, filling it with murder and skeletons. So he embroidered it? He did. Absolutely, You're just not going to let that go, are you? Nope. So after the six years book, it was open season, and the legend of Lavinia Fisher began to take its killer shape. Charlestonian historian Beatrice Saint-Julian ravenel that's her entire last name. Good lord. Sounds a little pretentious, but you know. Yeah. Noted in 1947's Charleston's Murders, people feel free to imagine Lavinia however they see fit. Murder? Sure. Oleander tea? Why not? Sorcery? She's already mentioned the devil, so it's practically true. The real Lavinia slowly faded into the background and there was the legend of the lovely Lavinia, because she was recorded to be quite beautiful, as she's dubbed in St. Julian Ravenel's retelling, and became brighter and more interesting and eclipsed the real woman. So, it should come as no surprise that such a terrible story, such as that of Lavinia, would give us a ghost story. Oh, of course. Said to Rome in Charleston, Almost immediately following her death, locals began to report seeing her face floating behind the window bars where she was held. And then, after the great earthquake of 1886, people began to report her wandering around in other parts of her neighborhood. Her and the gray man
1: get along really well.
0: Maybe. Who knows? Such as the Unitarian Cemetery just a few blocks away. Yeah. And tourists and tour guides alike still claim sightings of her ghostly apparition. And so, ultimately, the Charleston ghost tour guides are kind of right. Lovely Lavinia is a ghost because... The way they tell it, she was never really real. So, that's kind of the story we have on Lavinia. She was the greatest serial killer that wasn't. That <laughs> wasn't a serial killer. Right. I mean, that's her
1: reputation, but... I, I mean, mean, she was she robbed, She She robbed a few dudes, but who hasn't? I mean, come on now. Really? Back then. Okay. <laughs> it's just the way you said that. I'm like, um... Do I need to look in the closets a little more carefully now? I mean, if you think about it, her whole story kind of coincides with like a Robin Hood tale.
0: Um, she, talked to
1: them, she talked to them, find out how much money they were, weighed and measured them, and then was like, hey, you can come and stay at my hotel. And then she robbed them. There's no accounts of them, her actually robbing like some dude who's just selling his wares or anything.
0: No, I mean, I suppose not. Now, I don't think they were using the, the funds and whatever they stole to enrich their community. I think it was just for herself well, and her but husband. still, I mean, it's just, I don't want to say eat the rich, but damn, she started. <laughs> well, yeah, she did take opportunities as they came, shall we say. I, yeah. I do find her enterprising, if perhaps not exactly on the, the most moral uh, direction, but yeah. then again, who are we to judge? Like right, the four percent weren't any worse. I mean, this is true. They were, you know, trading enslaved people and mistreating the poor, and you know. Yeah, I, I, know.
1: I love stories that come from from this. Oh, she robbed a few people. I, I think perhaps we should hang her. Meanwhile, I'm going to sell my my 20 enslaved people because, you know, I don't have enough money. Like, I mean, you're
0: not wrong. Not wrong at all. But, you know, the, peop- the thing about the rich people is they're the ones who get to manipulate and guide the whole process. Oh, yeah. She was a tavern keeper. Probably had some money, but not enough. Not enough to avoid, you know, the ultimate fate she had. But, my dear... It would seem we've come to the end of another installment of Southern Fried Spooky. Mm -hmm. We hope you've enjoyed wandering through Six Mile House, which may or may not have burned down. We don't know. And Five Mile House. (laughs) Indeed. And examining the tales versus the truth. As always, we invite you to share the podcast with your friends. Please visit our social media sites. Give us some likes, if that's a thing people still do. We have a Patreon that is really lonely. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm your Carolina girl. And I'm your Florida man. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye, Bye, y'all.
1: Oh, look, Lovey. I say that we, you know, we should totally get that vile woman, Lavinia Fisher, hung. I do believe that is also a good idea. Yes. Why are we British? I don't know, but we haven't had this spectacle in a long time. Jeeves, find the bodies.